Hi, I'm Tanya Ransom, creator and executive producer of Nightlight, a horror podcast featuring creepy tales written and performed by Black creatives from all over the world. This week, a tale of a collector of sorts. And our third of four tales in June, all from Blackened Roots, an anthology of non-traditional zombies which releases tomorrow, June 23rd. Link is in our show notes. But before we get to scattered body parts, I want to take a moment to say thanks to our newest patron, Noodle Puff. If you'd like to support Black Horror and enjoy ad-free episodes, just go to nightlightpod.com legion to join the Nightlight Legion and get a shout-out on the podcast, plus occasional bonus content. You can also make a one-time donation to support us at nightlightpod.com donate. And don't forget, Nightlight merch is available, and you can support us by sporting Nightlight-branded gear. Just go to merch.nightlightpod.com to get your t-shirts, hoodies, notebooks, and more. And in case you missed it, we're raising funds to produce season two of Afflicted. We need everyone's help to keep the show alive, so please check out afflictedaudio.com support and help out however you can. Now sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy Cecil and the Dismemberment, written by Eric Nunnally, narrated by Jarvis Bailey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Nightlight has partnered with Fan Roll Dice by Metallic Dice Games to offer an exclusive discount on one of their gorgeous dice sets that we've fallen in love with because of their satisfying weight and, let's just be honest, sparklies not to mention their impeccably constructed dice accessories. In one word, velvet. Visit fanrolldice.com, that's F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E.com, and use our discount code NIGHTLIGHT for 10% off any new additions to your dice hoard. A portion of your purchase will come back to us and help support our shows. So go to fanrolldice.com with the discount code NIGHTLIGHT to get 10% off of any additions to your dice hoard. Adrift. The word popped into Cecil's head, and he couldn't deny it was the right one to describe his life. It's where he found himself this evening, unmoored from progress. Long after an embarrassing moment in a small town, a bad breakup that cost friends, and a move to another city that didn't work out, he'd pulled off a reverse hat trick. In his mind, life had become a list of things not to do. Not to fill your pants with hot gravy on stage in school. Not to stay in a one-way relationship. Not to move halfway across the country for a half-ass, hollow opportunity. All of it led to this moment, stuck and waiting alone in a hot tunnel for a smelly rail car. Miraculously, he was in the sweet spot between crowds and sat alone on a bench, his head leaning back against the subway tile. The feeling of the wall pressing against the back of his thick hair only reminded him that he needed a haircut. Yet another expense that would cut down his already dwindling savings. The data entry job he'd fallen into only covered enough to eat and commute. From the corner of his eye, he caught a glimpse of something reflective and didn't think anything of it. The occasional blast of hot air rattled any detritus left by commuters. It was common for foil wrappers to get spun around. He stood up and wandered to the edge of the platform, 
being careful not to stumble on the raised dimples of the bright yellow safety edging. Both ends of the tunnel stretched into darkness, and he could hear the screeching of wheels on rail in the distance. Nothing to indicate a train coming his way, however. He found the train system itself fascinating. Miles of underground tracks weaving beneath the city. A mystery for commuters. What were the tunnels like when the massive trains weren't there? How would it feel to be alone inside them? The glint caught his eye again, and he spotted the eyeball near the edge of the platform. It glistened and twitched, myriad tendrils of nerve and muscle contracted. A lump pushed at the back of Cecil's throat, and he lost the sense of what to do with his hands. He stared at the gelatinous orb, and it appeared to stare back. As he crept toward it, hardly believing it to be real, it twitched again. The thing looked fresh. This isn't possible, he thought. Who loses an eye like this? He edged closer, his toe nearly touching the gore, and his phone rang. He startled like a deer and lurched backward, tipping the eyeball over the edge of the platform. Christ, fuck, he muttered, scrambling to pull his flip phone out. The number was unrecognized, but he answered, hoping it was a callback from one of the dozen companies he'd sent a resume to. Cecil! The voice on the other end of the line sounded urgent and familiar. Confused, Cecil said, Who is this? Did you get it? He couldn't imagine who would prank him like this. He'd effectively cut ties with anyone who might have been close enough for this sort of joking. Who is this? Get what? The eye! Did you get it? Heart hammering in his chest, Cecil felt his mouth go dry. The train came roaring into the station, drowning out any further conversation. He stumbled onto the train, the first prickling of sweat stinging under his arm. He yelled into the phone a few more times, trying to hear over the cacophony of the train, before closing the device and shoving it in his coat pocket. He ran his hands over his knees and peered at his reflection in the windows across the train. In the fluorescent light, his normally brown skin looked pale and drawn. The train burst into open air on the elevated track, and light over the city obliterated his reflection. He could still feel the hum of panic working his jaw when he exited the train for the short walk to his rundown studio apartment. Cecil sat staring at his assigned stack of documents. He cradled a mug of hot coffee letting the steam tickle his chin. He hadn't gotten much sleep. Regardless, even on a good day, data entry crushed his soul. The phone on his desk rang. He picked up the handset and said, This is Cecil. We got disconnected last night. Cecil's jaw clenched, and he said through his teeth, Who the fuck is this? Listen, you have to go back and get the eye. It's important. Fuck you! Who is this? Go back and get it! Janice, to Cecil's right, was the first to poke her head above the cubicle wall. Her eyebrows screwed into a quizzical look. Gordon, to his left, followed soon after. Cecil hung up the phone and said, Eh, prank call. His workmates traded a look and slowly sank back into their seats, resigned to fulfill the day's quota. Cecil focused on his stack of paper, trying to ignore the phone whenever it rang. After the fourth or fifth time of Cecil ignoring calls from the unknown number, Gordon said, 
Yo, Cecil, you gotta do something about that, man. It's annoying AF. Truth, Janice said. Okay, okay. He picked up the phone and slammed it back down before leaving the handset off the hook. When the -the off-the-hook warning tone started, he slammed it back into the cradle. The unknown number rang through again, but this time he pulled the cord out of the back of the phone. At the end of the day, his supervisor called Janice in order to reach Cecil and to scold him about missing her phone calls. It was a four-block walk to the subway. Early autumn brought with it a slight chill to the air. Cecil walked with his hands tucked into his pockets, one hand ignoring his vibrating phone. Nearly to the station, he heard a phone ringing, an old-fashioned striker-on-bell type. Tucked in between a liquor store and a boarded-up building, bolted to the wall, the rarest of phones rang. He stopped and stared at the ancient thing, thinking it impossible. His phone had stopped ringing in his pocket, and now this. He shook his head and plunged down the stairs for the platform. The next day brought more of the same, and before the intrusions could further derail his life, he decided to entertain the caller. What do you want? For you to pick up the eye. Why? It's important. It's fucking gross is what it is, man. Who is this? That's not what's important, Cecil. Just get the eye. I'll call afterward. And you'll stop calling me? Only after it's done. Cecil sighed and hung up the phone. After spending long minutes listening to his heart pound over the clacking of keyboards around him, Janice spoke through the soft cubicle wall. You all right, Cecil? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm fine. Figured out how to stop that caller? Yeah, maybe. I hope. Sure. Okay, she said. Her voice sounded as unconvinced as Cecil's thoughts. He'd need a plastic baggie at least, and remembered seeing some in the break room. The walk to the platform took longer than usual. Cecil's every step made his legs feel like noodles dried and fragile, or cooked and unsupportive, either or. A small crowd of people made their way up and down the stairs. Cecil had some idea where the eye was, but getting to it would be awkward with this many people around. Awkward doesn't cut it, he thought. The entire situation was absurd. He couldn't confide in anyone. They'd think him insane. A voice on the phone, dismembered eye, He took deep breaths as he descended to the platform and slowly walked to the furthest end. The train loaded and unloaded twice while he waited, and a steady flow of people peppered the platform. It irritated him, an irrational feeling in light of the madness of the situation. Fatigued with tension, Cecil knelt at the edge of the platform and peered over, scanning the darkness beneath him. A few travelers noticed. Cecil smiled at them and said, Uh, Drop my phone. Can you believe it? He looked down the track, determined it was safe enough, and hopped down. In the darkened space between rail and wall, he spotted the eye and bent over. He removed the bag from his pocket, inverted it, and picked up the organ. It was lighter than he expected. It twitched, orbiting in his fingers. Revulsion sped up his throat. He choked it back, and swapped the eye with a phone in his pocket. 
Cecil stood up, held up his phone and said, Got it! A few passengers rolled their eyes. He climbed back onto the platform and heaved with a small bit of relief. At home, Cecil peered at the eye in the baggie on his table. It was a brown eye, he noticed, same color as his own. It still twitched and rotated, as if looking about. He wondered at the race of the person missing an eye. Was that something that could even be determined at this point? Could any characteristics be determined or the eye returned? Should he call the police? Not unless I want a beating and some jail time, he thought. His phone rang. It was the unknown number. He swallowed, flipped open his phone, and pressed the speaker button. He placed the phone on the table next to the eye and said nothing. The familiar voice rang out. You have it? Cecil worked his jaw and said, Yeah. A sigh of relief from the line. Okay, good. Now what? This is over, right? We're done. The sound of a dismissive huff raked Cecil's ears before the voice said, Now, you gotta find the rest down there. Cecil sat up. The rest of what? The body. No. He shook his head as the first threads of panic reached his eyes. Stay calm, okay? All you gotta do is find the rest of the body. It'd help if you worked for them. Them who, man? Cecil caught himself shouting and willed himself to dial it down. The transportation authority. You should get a job there. You like the trains anyway. Cecil stood up, unable to sit any longer. How do you know this? It's not important. It's important to me. Maybe. Uh, maybe? What is important to me then, motherfucker? Getting a better job to start. Oh, and how do I do that? The voice told him how. Cecil accepted the bundle through the iron grate, and the old man on the other side said, Welcome to the Transit Authority, kid. Sign here. He signed and peered at the collection of handheld equipment atop a bright orange safety vest peaked by a miner's helmet. Starting today, he was a signal trainee. The phone calls kept coming, but they'd become more encouraging, offering advice as often as cajoling Cecil to take action. Within a few weeks, he was being sent on assignments alone in the tunnels. Cecil took to the work quickly. Being in the tunnels fascinated him. The hunt never changed, though. It was what lent an edge to every moment of his day. Go in, get the job done, and go home. The calls nagged at him. They prodded gently until he made it a habit to stay on the lookout for more body parts. He wanted to give up and simply work. Then he found the finger. At first, he thought it was a worm because it moved, like the eye. It twitched and beckoned, seeming to be desirous of something it could not find. Cecil pocketed the digit, suppressing the urge to vomit whenever it squirmed in his pocket. The next day, he found the rest of the hand, the other eye, and another hand, intact. The parts writhed and he shuddered with every move. Somehow, the teeth were the most disturbing. They didn't move, but teeth. At the time, he didn't realize they were an incomplete set until he found the jaw with some teeth missing. 
Cecil sat on the floor between his bed and the kitchenette. He stared at the body parts writhing on the floor. When the phone rang, he didn't flinch. It was routine. An expected call nowadays. How many now? Cecil snarled, still unable to place the familiar voice. Two hands, two eyes, two feet, one wearing a work boot. Teeth and the jaw. It's... It's just so creepy. This is nuts. It's necessary. Hang in there, and good job, you're doing great. Am I? This was probably a transit worker like me, and now, look at him! Scattered all over the tunnel, somehow still alive? Kind of alive, I guess. You are doing great, man. This is a good thing. You'll see. Uh Uh-huh. As he watched the parts, a macabre thought occurred to him. He pushed the finger into the missing space on the incomplete hand. The parts slipped together. Holy shit! What? What is it? The... The finger. It joined with the hand. Progress! Uh... Yeah, it's great. Hold on. He started fiddling with teeth, placing them in the jaw. Each tooth, when placed correctly sucked into place with a gentle, wet pop. It was the simplest, most disturbing puzzle. Are the teeth in? The teeth are in. The voice on the other end whooped and said, You deserve a drink, man. Why not go out and grab a drink? By myself? Yeah, why not? Just one can't hurt. I guess not. (laughs) It's just... What? These, um... Body parts, they're kind of... ripe. Then light a candle, man. You got at least one, I know. Cecil rolled his eyes, annoyed that this person seemed to know him, and hung up the phone. He grabbed his suitcase and piled the parts in so they'd stay in one place. Then he cracked the windows to let the cool autumn air in, and lit a scented candle in a bowl before leaving the apartment. It felt good to be outside and wearing new clothes. With a haircut and the rent paid, he felt like a brand new man. A man with a job that paid a living wage. For the first time in months, adrift wasn't a word that wholly defined him anymore. Or did it? This was all something new for sure. His mind ground on the situation as he sat down in a nearby bar and ordered a beer. It was still early and uncrowded. The vibe was pleasant and as relaxing as it could be for someone with a suitcase of body parts at home. The thoughts kept hitting him as the people scattered around the bar chatted. The patrons created a space of convivial air, while Cecil maintained a vacuum around himself. Excuse me. Cecil looked to his right. A woman with short, wavy hair, a long neck, and very dark skin waved at him. Hi, sorry to bother you, but could you hand me a napkin? She pointed. In front of him and to the right lay a bartender's tray of accessories one of which was a stack of red cocktail napkins. Oh, sure. Cecil dug out a few and handed them to her. Thanks. She used the napkins to dry a length of moisture on her forearm. I leaned right into this puddle here, she said and smiled. It was a nice smile. You're welcome, Cecil said. It's, uh, kind of nasty when that happens. Not as nasty as wiggling body parts in your suitcase, Cecil. (laughs) Tell me about it. She wadded up the napkins and placed them on the bar. 
I didn't mean to disturb you. Seems like you were deep in thought. I guess I was, yeah. Lots of, uh, change recently. Like keeping body parts in your apartment, Cecil. Really? Good stuff, I hope. She winced. I'm sorry, I don't mean to pry. Oh no, well, I moved here a couple of years ago and it didn't go well. Not as well as locating and collecting body parts, Cecil. And I ended up in a lousy job, but a couple of months ago I found a gig doing work I'm interested in and things are, you know, better. He held his hands out as if comparing the weight of one problem against another. His heart banged against his sternum. Each beat a reminder, every second, of what he'd gotten mixed up in. Well, that's good. We spend too much time at work to hate it. You blessed. She arched her eyebrows and smiled. My name's Sonia, by the way. Cecil, he took her offered hand. Cecil smiled back. Her makeup matched her outfit well, he noticed. And the earrings dangling from her ears matched the pattern stitching, of all things. Very cool that you found earrings to match the stitch pattern in your dress. Thank you for noticing. A woman who looked just as good as Sonia waved from across the room to get her attention. Oh, that's my girl, gotta go. Have a good night, Cecil said and nodded. Thanks, you too. She grinned and paused to snap a business card out. Give me a call sometime, Cecil. Surprised, he took the card and said, I, thanks, I will. You can't, Cecil. She hustled out laughing with her friend and Cecil peered at the card. It had Sonia's first name at the top and a phone number beneath it. A plain card for a not-so-plain woman. Cecil's life was hardly average nowadays. He felt that he'd somehow dodged a bullet. Now was not a time for any sort of relationship. Swallowing hard, he wondered just what he was doing and at what point someone would notice that he'd gone insane. Cecil stood over a pair of legs desperately in need of feet and a torso. The knees occasionally flexed, causing the pair of limbs to rock. His skin crawled, watching them in the singular beam of his headlamp. At least they were wearing pants, a well-worn pair of jeans. The legs were too large to carry easily, and really, wasn't this getting out of hand? He had work to do, at least two signals to clear before exiting the tunnel. He'd done well with his supervising mentor, Mickey Struthers. The good work he'd done to date was the only reason he got to go down some tunnels on his own. Best to check those two signals and maybe get on with his life at this point. A half hour before quitting, Cecil checked in with Mickey. Here's the paperwork, clearing the last three signals. Mickey took the clipboard of papers and glanced at them. Looks like you checked everything off okay. Got the box? Cecil checked his vest, feeling the device in his pocket that recorded maintenance checks. Ah, shit. Must have left it on the last signal box. I'll go grab it. Be right back. Sure, kid. That thing will come out of your paycheck. You don't find it. Cecil waved over his shoulder in response. As soon as he'd rounded the corner, he dipped into the locker room and grabbed the gym duffel he used to store a change of clothes. Emptied, it'd be just large enough for the legs. Back at his apartment, Cecil boiled a tablespoon of cinnamon. Around the small space, more candles burned. He placed a second curved plate of coffee grounds near the front door. Then he turned his attention to the remnants of the body. Since finding the legs, he'd added an arm, 
and the torso. He squatted and stared at the torso. It wore a tattered, generic hoodie. Flecks of blood peppered the neck and shoulder. Something violent had happened to this person, and here Cecil was, cleaning it up, hauling the evidence back to his apartment and... What? It wasn't even the worst part. The neck ended in tatters, countless bright red tendons and muscles twisted inside, threaded in and around the white of the spine. Bright pink and red muscles extended beyond the neck, ending in a moist tongue that twitched every few minutes. He sank down until he squatted, his elbows on his knees and hands in front of his mouth. He couldn't turn away. The torso rose and fell rhythmically. It breathed at an even pace. At this level, he could see into it. The coiled organs packed in without a hint of space between them. They quivered, wet and slimy, like a cup full of swollen worms. The phone rang. Cecil opened the device and said nothing. He couldn't take his eyes off the heaving chest. Tell me you got the last of it. Cecil took a deep breath and said, No. Damn. You can do this, man. You can push the whole thing forward. He felt himself spiral, a sudden drop in his chest, and he fell to pieces, like this jigsaw man in front of him. Cecil slumped to the floor, his knees to his chest. The phone slipped from his hand and he sobbed, heaving on the floor. He had no idea how long he lay there, his eyes blurry watching the torso breathe. It seemed like interminable hours, but he couldn't move. He wouldn't finish this. A briny puddle formed beneath his cheek and a chill ran the length of his body. The phone's screen remained alight and after some time he could hear the tinny sound of his name being called over and over. Cecil, come on, please pick up, please. I'll tell you who it is. The raw emotion of the pleas drew his hand, and he picked it up. The phone felt like a magnet on an iron floor. He struggled to drag it up to his ear. He listened to the crackle of the line and the huffs of air from his collar. Well? Okay, okay. You are doing a good thing here, Cecil. Who is this? Who the fuck is this? Who? Who? Cecil surged into a sitting position and gave in to his mania screaming into the phone. Someone knocked on the door. He ignored it. Answer me! Get the door. No! Who is it? You've got to answer the door, man. Cecil surged to his feet and screamed. Who is it? Who is it? Who? 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 It's me! Okay? It's me! You're saving me! A name! I want a name! Will you finish? Answer me! Will you finish? From the door. Um, it's Sandy. We can all hear you out here. Is everything okay? The voice on the line repeated itself so loudly the question was distorted. Will you finish? Yes! Cecil yelled back. That's when you'll know. Now answer your damn door. The line went dead. Shit! He turned to the door and stumbled, unsure. Looking around the room, it was a sight he wouldn't want anyone to see. He put the chain on the door and cracked it. Sandy from across the hallway jerked back a step. She wore a nightgown and her hair tucked under a silken cap. What are you yelling about? 
Cecil had no idea what time it was and could tell by the way her eyes tracked that he must look terrible. I, um... He held up the phone. I'm sorry. I was on the phone. Uh, bad news. And I didn't handle it well. I know it's late. I'm so sorry. It won't happen again. It better not. Sandy wrinkled her nose. What is that smell? I've been experimenting with making candles and soap. It's, um... I'll put it all away. I promise. I'm sorry. Sandy shook her head and turned away, waving her hand in front of her nose. Mr. and Mrs. Gorman peered through the crack of the door. Mrs. Gorman said, Are you sure you're okay, Cecil? He sighed and forced a smile. Yes, Mrs. Gorman, I'm fine. Just gotta clean up and put a few things away. All quiet from now on. I hope so, young man, Mr. Gorman said. Cecil closed the door, leaned his head back against it, and sank to the floor, struggling not to wail. The next few days were marked by a temperature drop, a literal cold as he kept all of his windows open to manage the smell. The only time he was able to get warm was at his job in the tunnels. It made for a fine distraction, keeping his mind focused on not freezing to death rather than locating the last body part. By his account, it was the skull that was missing, everything above the lower jaw, and there was no telling if the face was in pieces too. Cecil had been sent further down the line, beyond the commuter zone, closer to the yards. He could see the light at the end of the tunnel, where trains were berthed for service. He kept telling himself that he was saving someone, doing a good thing. The deeply disturbing sight of the filthy, twitching, faceless corpse haunted his waking hours. Whenever he closed his eyes, he saw the body, and he couldn't stop wondering when he would find the final pieces and end this nightmare. Cecil! The call over the radio had the irritated urgency of someone who'd been repeating themselves. He fumbled with his radio and answered, Mickey, I'm here. There was a long pause of mild static before Mickey said, Jesus fucking Christ, kid. Don't do that to me. Answer your goddamn calm, okay? Right, sorry. Won't happen again. Fuck's sake. I thought you'd gotten smushed out there or something. Like, scattered on the tracks. <laughs> Mickey's wheezy, nervous laugh filled the radio. Still in one piece, Mick. Unlike the corpse in your apartment, Cecil. He swallowed hard, not quite able to resolve the tickle at the back of his throat. These fucking trains will tear you to pieces, young fella. Don't forget that. I won't. Okay, well... Where you at on signal 224? Just finished. Want me to head back? Great, yeah. I want to clock out a bit early, and you can't be wandering the tunnels without supervision. So finish your shift in the office. I'm sure we can find something for you to do. Copy that. On my way. Mickey didn't bother to respond. In the distance, trains roared and warm air pushed through the tunnels. Cecil was grateful for the heat and the relative quiet. A long line of yellow bulbs provided just enough light to walk the line and forge deep shadows in the nooks along the way. Cecil kept his flashlight on to be safe. He was unwilling to admit that, of all the things in the tunnels, it was the deep dark of the nooks that unnerved him the most. At each one, he pointed his beam of light into it. Along with the gentle crunch of his footsteps on gravel, 
it became a monotonous task. He almost missed the flash of yellow plastic. Someone had lost their helmet, probably a rail crew making repairs. Those workers dragged the most equipment around and lost plenty of it. Cecil leaned over and picked up the hard hat. Half buried in the gravel and dirt beneath it lay most of a face and skull. He didn't flinch, had become so used to handling body parts that he figured he could be a coroner's assistant next. He'd mastered his involuntary physical reactions, but the sight of such things still caused the pit of his stomach to churn with anxiety. Squatting near the track, he eyed the find for a few moments before making a decision. His fingers buzzed as he reached to pick up the remnants of what he could only presume had been a human being, at least once. His phone rang and his entire body clenched and toppled backward onto his ass. He dug his phone out and answered through his teeth, knowing who it was. How the fuck? Tell me you're close. I can feel it. Give me some good news. Cecil took several deep breaths, ignoring the caller for a moment. Cecil? <sighs> yeah, I... I just found the rest. That's great. I'll call you when you get home. The line clicked and the caller was gone. Cecil spent one long minute staring at the half-buried face. It was filthy and lacked eyes. The sockets were deep and unknowable. He bent to reach for the remains and hesitated, staring into the pools of black. It felt as if something would come crawling out to nip at his fingers. Instead of grabbing the skull like a bowling ball, he began pushing stone and dirt away from the back of it, exposing the top of the head. The head was covered with thick hair made of tight curls. It was interwoven with sand-like dirt and bits of stone which made it appear gray. He'd known by the skin he was collecting a black person, but to be confronted with a final piece especially unnerved him. He upended the crusted head, letting dirt fall from the sockets, and rolled it into the hard hat. He tucked the whole affair under his arm and hoped no one would look too closely until he could get to his locker. When he could see the light of the platform ahead, he felt a rush of hot air at his back. Oh shit! He'd taken too long in the tunnel, spent too much time collecting the head. A train barreled at him, its lights reflected wildly off his vest. Oh shit! Cecil ran, a piston of survival, feet pounding in the gravel. The horn sounded at his back, but he was already running as fast as possible. The roar overwhelmed his senses, but he didn't dare look back. Nothing else mattered but to get clear of the behemoth at his heels. Fear ripped at the back of his skull. It wasn't express. It wasn't coming in for slow pickup. It was coming in hot. Compressed air nudged him, and he ran hard, straight into the station. Without pausing, he dove under the overhang of the platform. His knees scraped gravel, and his chin slammed into the loose rock as he struggled to breathe. Over 200 tons of churning metal hurtled past, kicking up dust and debris, slamming his body with sound. Cinnamon boiled on the stove again, and the windows were open nearly half the way up. It was the best he could do under the circumstances. He didn't want to have another encounter with his neighbors. He couldn't stop sweating. A few scrapes bled from his chin and palms. Soot and detritus caked his clothing. The skull sat on the table, and Cecil gazed into its empty eye sockets. He knew it was human, of course, but the skin sagged, lifeless, 
unlike the rest of the body in his apartment. The nose pulled sideways a bit, and the skin was discolored beyond being recognizable as flesh. He picked up the phone and stared at it. When it rang, he answered. Is this an actual corpse? Did I just pick up an actual dead body part? This seems even more wrong than what we've been doing. Cecil ground his teeth together hard enough to crack. Tension rippled in his throat, and his breathing came ragged and halting. It's the last part, man. It'll be fine. You can do it. This is insane. I can't do this anymore. Cecil sniffed hard, his eyes burning. Yes, you can, man. Put them back together. Go on. No. Cecil, do it. Now. He struggled with himself before putting the phone down and carrying the head to the heaving body. His breath came in hitches as he thread the tongue through the upper jaw. Popping wet sounds floated in the air as the neck attached to the head. He picked up the lower jaw and held it in place. It snapped in place like magnets were involved, and the body writhed, gulping air. He took the eyes from the storage bag and dropped them into the sockets. They rotated silently and sank into place. The face rippled and flowed, skin tightening, color returning as blood rushed in, and he knew. The face, filthy and unkempt, tortured by misuse and neglect, was one he'd been seeing for years. The same one that stared back at him from any reflective surface he turned his eyes toward. It rose from the floor. He rose from the floor. Cecil stared at the phone. The line was still open. He snatched it and said, Who are you? How are you doing this? Cecil's newly reassembled self watched, a melancholy look on his face. He held a hand out, palm up. Cecil screamed. Who is this? Answer me! He looked into his own sad, pitying eyes and asked, Am I dead? His self gestured again, and Cecil placed the phone in his palm. He pocketed the phone and took a deep breath, appraising Cecil. You're not dead, man. It's just time for you to go, he said and placed a reassuring hand on Cecil's shoulder. It's okay. We're going to be okay. You go ahead now. He picked up Sonia's playing card from the side table by the door. Don't worry. I'll clean up and call her and take care of other things. You go on. We'll be fine. Cecil trembled and sobbed, lowering his head and shaking it back and forth. When he looked up, he still stood watching, patient and encouraging. It was me? The whole time? Cecil said. Yes. He did so good. I'll carry on. Everything will be better from now on. He held out the yellow hard hat for Cecil. He took the helmet. Cecil nodded. Rubbing the watery blur from his eyes, he left the apartment, rubbing his head and trying to think. His mind felt disconnected from everything. He floated, a lightness overcoming him, down the stairs and onto the sidewalk. He didn't remember the walk to the subway. He descended the stairs and strolled the length of the platform to the maintenance ladder and climbed down. He put on the hard hat. No one noticed. No one said anything. He wore the uniform of a transit worker after all. Cecil walked down the tunnel until he disappeared into the shadows.
Thanks again to our patrons for supporting this podcast. Because of your support, listeners around the world get creepy tales in their ears every other week. If you want new stories every week, the only way for that to happen is to join the Nightlight Legion by going to nightlightpod.com legion. You can also make a one-time donation via PayPal at nightlightpod.com donate. If you aren't able to support us financially, word of mouth is the next best way to help. Give us a shout out online on Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram at NightlightPod, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ransompodcasts. Reviews are also a huge help, so be sure to leave a few kind words on your podcast platform of choice. Audio production for this episode by Jen Zink. And to thank you for listening until the very end, we have a creepy fact for you. There's a reason Black people ask after someone passes, who's doing the body? And it's not just because of fear of traditional zombies like the recipe shared by Eden Royce in episode 613. Earlier this year, a mother and daughter duo who owned a funeral home were given the maximum sentence for dismembering and selling body parts to medical research and training firms. They'd charge grieving families $1,000 for cremation, then give them ashes from a mixed bag of corpses. They are believed to have targeted 200 families. Join us next time, and be sure to leave your nightlight on. You never know what might be looking for you in the dark. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish.